Greetings, poddies, and welcome to my very new podcast, My Life Not Yours. I'm Tina, and I hope you'll enjoy listening to a bit of banter about my life lessons I've learned along the way. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to No Place Like Home. I wanted to talk about this today because I wondered what people really define as home. What does it mean to them? Is it the place where you go to sleep at night on a regular basis? You've got all your worldly goods, you get dressed there, eat there, whatever else there, and you've got your things around the home. Or is it the country you reside in? Or is there both sides of the coin which people say this is their home? I mentioned that because a friend of mine said the other day she was coming home. She actually resides in the US and used to live here and said, I'm coming home in September. And yet she's a Native American who has lived all over and now coming back here just for about five weeks. If we actually look at what the dictionary defines home as, it says the place where one lives permanently. So I guess when you see or hear the phrase no fixed abode, it's quite sad because that means somebody has no fixed address. And I'm going to start with this quote about home and see if it resonates with you. Home should be an anchor, a port in a storm, a refuge, a happy place in which to dwell, a place where we love and where we can love and where we are loved. For me, this is quite personal because if I go a little bit deeper into this quote, my personal experience of being in multiple homes in my life spans back to my childhood some were good, some were very bad. And it was all in co- in the countryside, which is not a bad thing either. But remember, I lived with multiple people. I had multiple families. I was part of a care system that didn't really care. And that brought me into different homes. So my very earliest memory was in a very large bungalow with caring, quote unquote, family number one. I actually really like this place. It was what we call a bungalow in uh, the UK, which is flat, no up or downstairs. And it was quite big and it was set in about two acres of land in the countryside. So you had a long driveway that could fit about nine cars, if I'm absolutely honest. The garden seemed to go on forever and ever. And I just loved the orchard at the bottom of the garden, my swing. I remember and can taste the smell of the greenhouse and when it was getting to spring and the heat was coming and you could see vegetables growing and it was all condensation or whatever you call it on the panes of glass. There were some really fond memories and I had this fostered uh, family that included another six brothers and sisters, all of them older. They weren't all living there when I was there and it really was home but the inevitable was about to happen. The foster family got a divorce and I was shipped off. So at this point, it was devastating for me. And I remember thinking, where am I going to go? And I just started from that point. That was the downward spiral of moving from home to home. In fact, I can't even call it a home. I call it from house to house. And I think one of the learnings from this that I learned is in adult life, 
why is it I can move on from friends very quickly or so-called people that I know? I'll be really in there at the beginning and then suddenly Tina's disappeared. She's found someone else to play with. And because I went to probably six or seven primary schools, moved to six or seven different homes or houses, that's where that came from. Home would either be another family or with a bunch of other stray kids I didn't know or care for. Some so-called homes were like institutions. And yeah, I can't really say that as a home, they were a home. Some were really great places in terms of the bricks and mortar. But this is not what we're talking about here. We are talking about homes. So then London's calling. And I ended up moving back to London to what I call urban living. I went to live with my blood mother. And after the country living, I returned to London or went to London. And it's all about the urban city life. Live with my mother in some yellow brick maisonettes in southeast London. And what a change. Now, really and truly, I returned back to my blood mother and it should have felt like home, but it wasn't. I felt completely displaced, even amongst my own. My bedroom was really tiny, but I adored it because I made it my own. Tacky MFI wardrobes, heartened white shaped bloody duvet covers. I could barely do a press up on the floor. That's how tight this room was. My room was red and white, but I loved it. Cheap as shit in terms of the attire and the dressing of it, but it was mine. As for the rest of the house or the flat, rather, it was a three-bedroom maisonette. So my mum was in one room, my brother in another, I in another, and actually my little sister was living in my mum's room. This was alien to me because the last home that I'd come from was a five-bedroomed country farmhouse, three acres of land, and so big. It was just ginormous. So I come into this tiny little urban dwelling, but it was also exciting. Even though I didn't feel it was a home to begin with, there were other neighbours that around that made me feel like I was home. I know that's really weird to explain, but it was, it was different. It was different. All I wanted, I remember when I lived in the countryside, is to put my slippers on and run to the shop. You can't do that where I lived. You had to get in the car, go about a mile and a half, two miles down the road just to go to the sweet shop. And sweeties were on Saturdays, by the way. Being in London, where everything was at your fingertips, I also recognised being home amongst my own included people of colour. So people who looked like me was really exciting. However, there was a dark side that I didn't really like, and that was recollecting people on the street. It really disturbed me, especially young people who I'm really passionate about, and I've spoken about lots before. It wouldn't take long to be walking through the streets of South London, and in particular where I was at the time, and seeing people just hands out asking for money. They looked a bit grubby, they looked like they could do with some warm food and clothing, this was a rude awakening for me to see people who were displaced on the street. And actually, I needed to really understand about it. And in my current kind of state, I actually am a mentor for people who have been homeless and are trying to uh, find work again with the House of St Barnabas. And I find it extremely rewarding. The reason why I find it really good is because 
I was educated on homelessness and perceptions that people have about it. People think if someone's on the street and, you know, they've got the dirty fingernails, no shoes on, that all of them have been put there on purpose. Well, actually, some people may have been displaced at some point in their life, but they actually feel better on the street than in a home. And it was interesting on the training course that we did with the House of St Barnabas. So I'm giving a plug because they're absolutely fantastic in what they do. Private members club, but it's all based around the ethos of training people back into employment who have been homeless. Is that you don't always believe what you see. And one of the things we learned was when people would walk along the street and you've got someone on the floor at ground level, most of them just want you to say hello. But we're always in our busy world, scuttling along, thinking, oh, my God, who's that? And so what I always make a point of doing now is I bend down and I just say, hi, you know, no, I haven't got any money. Because actually giving a homeless person money or anything like that, just some of them, it may be going on drugs. So it's not an idea to give people lots of money. For these people on the street, they didn't have a home or they may have had temporary accommodation at night. Me learning and understanding about that was really, really important. And I think that when I go back to my childhood, I always had a roof over my head, but everything felt quite temporary, if that makes sense. There was nowhere that I really, apart from the very first home, and when that broke up, did I feel I was at home. And it's kind of sad, really, because one of the worst places I was in was this assessment centre. People that, or young children that had not been placed in a family environment who were in the care system were put in this place. Picture this, big roving mansion, something like you'd see in Bridgerton, if I'm absolutely honest. It was absolutely stunning. There was a paddock with an old beaten car with the doors hanging off and stuff like that. There was a swimming pool. There was a separate place for schooling. There was a classroom. But then you did go inside and you got to dormitories, which, you know, were nice. But you were sharing with people and there were some really weird others in there. But this house was absolutely beautiful, but it could no way be my home. How can anywhere be your home where you have a name tag on your bed, a name tag in the wardrobe to put your few belongings and then they get stolen. I remember from my christening I had a beautiful cross and I'm not religious by the way but I was a baby so you know I got christened kind of cool I guess at the time and I had some beautiful jewellery from when I was christened as a baby. All of it got stolen. How can I call this my home? How can I call that my home? The worst thing about this particular place that, you know, looks fantastic, when you drive in, you just think, oh my God, this is amazing. And you know, now if I went on holiday, especially if it's in the UK, and I went out to the countryside, you'd be looking at a place as a hotel like this. I mean, it was that beautiful, but it's what lies beneath, what goes on inside. And that was what was really sad for me. So that definitely wasn't a home. And the day that I got packed up and moved out of there was pretty formidable for me because there were bad things that happened inside this place but again my resilience and the learning I took from it is there was just this inner strength inside of me the amount of kids that ran away from this home and what was even more distressing I think when I was doing my research for this particular podcast it was called Parkland's Assessment Centre 
the child abuse that went on in there in some of the years, the stories that I've read about people who were abused by the head of the assessment centre and stuff like that, it really broke my heart. And I actually had to dig deep into the dark depths of my brain cell to think, did anything happen to me? And I'll be honest with you, it didn't. I think some guy tried to get his little Willy Wonka out, which was just disgusting. And I just said, pull your fucking trousers back up, mate. I'm not interested. I was only eight. I was eight or nine years old when I said that. <laughs> I, I laugh because there's so many young girls or young boys are not lucky. But I didn't seem to get troubled by anybody. And I do laugh when I think about it because there's other things that happened but it certainly wasn't any sexual abuse or anything like that. And I think the most scariest thing for me is when it's people that you're in the care of that should be protecting you. So no, it wasn't a home. It was more like an institution for kids that had nowhere else to go. How sad is that? The next home, I don't recall being that much better, but in terms of look and feel on the outside, beautiful. A really rural part of the countryside you pulled up outside this place and you're talking 10 12 bedrooms all the bits and pieces but there was another it was another home for lots of children again and it looked amazing it looked absolutely amazing but again you know you're in a room with five other people if you sneezed you had to sleep on the landing or you get a slap I mean how can someone grow up in homes like this and I think I got lucky if I'm absolutely honest with you there are so many people now that I see, or children, that are living in, is the, is degradation a word? I mean, it's awful. And I at least had a warm bed, food to eat, and I got on with some people. I go back to the homelessness again, and I do think that we all need to be more aware of what homeless means, because it doesn't mean people are on the street they could be sofa surfing I met this young girl once that I used to mentor it was quite a few years ago and she was sofa surfing had been doing so for nearly a year a friend of hers had said you can sleep on my sofa but you have to pack your stuff up by half past six in the morning and you can't go to bed until everybody else has gone to bed now imagine that how can that be your home it's temporary I guess it's better than the street, but there are demands around that. And the reason why she was sofa surfing is because she was getting molested by an uncle in the household. I find that extremely sad, but do you know what, people? It goes on all the time. And whilst this poddy might be a little bit sad, I'm going to bring it up a level now. So after 45 years plus of living all over the damn place, I have found my palace in the heart of South East London. I went to live with my blood mother. I stayed in South East London. And my first memory of getting out of my mum's house is getting a flat. Uh, that was um, somewhere that I rented and that was nice. Again, I could start building my own thing. So what does home mean to me? I can buy my own things. I can sit on my own sofa. I've got nobody coming in to trouble me about what am I doing and not sharing with other people was a massive thing for me. Very scary to start off with, but trying to lay down those roots and colour schemes and things that you love in your own home. The only thing about this damn flat was, I'll never forget, there was a massive tree outside. So when it came to summer, I'd had all the windows open. I used to get these 
big fuck off spiders in my house, in my flat rather. I had a bit of arachnophobia. I don't know where it came from, but there was definitely an issue with spiders. One day I had come back late from being out somewhere and I got to my front doors. There were two doors to get into this flat, my lovely little home, two doors to get in. And there was the biggest spider I'd ever seen on the key fob or whatever it is, the key, the keyhole, the keyhole. And people may say, oh yeah, but you've got arachnophobia, Tina, so everything's going to be exaggerated. Listen, I wasn't exaggerating about this big bastard on my, on my door. And usually a friend who lived about five houses away, I could call on him to come and be my spider catcher or my downstairs neighbour, but it was half past 12 at night. So guess what, people? (laughs) I couldn't go near this thing. And I slept in my car all damn night. When I woke up in the morning, this thing had obviously gone, but that freaked me out even more that I didn't know where it had gone. So I, I, I think I must have woke up in the car about five o'clock and I just sat there just watching the world go by on this road thinking how am I going to go back in the house so I waited for my neighbour to get up and I knocked the door and I said I'm so sorry Tony but I slept in the car last night he said what what, what, what happened he got really panicky and I said no there was a spider on the door and he said oh Tina and he'd always come in and get my spiders along with a friend who lived five doors away so I said the thing is Tone it was there when I tried to get in last night at half past twelve at night and now it was whatever time in the morning, but can you just can you just go in the flat and just have a look and see where it's gone? He said, it's going to take me all damn day. He did it. It didn't take him long, to be fair. I'm exaggerating. He did have a look around and of course he couldn't find it because the spider had gone into a dark place. So anyway, I went back in the, in the, in the house and I couldn't relax. I'll be honest with you, I could not relax for at least a day or two that I hadn't seen it. And then guess what? About three days later, I was in the front room and I saw this black thing just crawl across the floor. I flew out of the house and actually Tony went back in and caught it. Good old Tone, my good old neighbour. This place was my home, but the best was yet to come. In 2003, I wanted to get something else. I think the spider did it. I think the spider ran me out of my flat and I knew it was time to move and pack my bags and so I bought my first little house to be fair it's my only house and when I walked through this front door and turned the key I knew I was home I hope that makes sense it actually was so good to walk into this two-bedroom little terrace house that was clean the owners had already emigrated to Australia they'd left lots of things in the garden for me in the shed and it was just clean no shit on the walls no horrible wallpaper it was just painted same carpet throughout and nothing else was in there I slept on the floor that night I didn't worry about spiders didn't have a thing I was just absolutely jubilant for all the places that I'd lived and moved Look, I had lived in some beautiful places, particularly in my teen years. There was one family I lived with. Their house is absolutely gorgeous. And I will never forget that, you know, the farmhouse. But I was in my house now, one that I could celebrate and just be me in. And I decided that I would take my time and do my own little house up as and when I could afford it. It's my tranquil spot. It's a feel-good haven for me. I can think run around naked if I want to, shout from the rafters, talk with the neighbours or simply watch the world go by from my bedroom window. 
and wonder when I will be part of it again. That's the outside world, not part of the house or whatever. And it feels so good. And during lockdown in 2020, I decided a refresh was needed everywhere, but I could only afford to do one room again. So I did the front room and, oh my God, I just love my home. What can I say? And I think my thought for the day is home for me is where my heart is and where I can exhale. And you should always make your home somewhere that when you turn the key and want to kick back and just be you. I often sit back and just close my eyes and I do think about homeless people and I think my calling is to do a lot more for especially young people that have been displaced and one of my dreams is to have a massive home, not a children's home, not my experiences, just a massive home where they can be educated, have somewhere that they can feel really comfortable in and they can come and go as they please but they've got some really great adult people around that can just give them those words of wisdom protect them and make them feel safe. Whether that ever happens, I don't know. I think I have to meditate and maybe manifest something in that area. But I really do feel quite strongly about it. And some of the stories I've had with the adult mentees from the House of St Barnabas include people that have worked for the intelligence services who are men. Their marriage is broken down. And if you didn't know already that actually... A high percentage of people that are homeless are men. And if they're in a family, they're the ones that are asked to leave the family home. And this guy in particular had been sleeping in one of our biggest royal parks for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks on end. He then declared himself homeless. He lost his job. He lost everything. And that is quite a scary prospect for people. There's another story of someone who ultra-intelligent, four children, had flown the nest, the family nest, because she was under threat from her husband, left four children behind and slept in a bus shelter for six months. And I couldn't even begin to imagine what that would be like. We are blessed, those of us who do have a key and can turn it in a door and and feel safe. I mean, I've been burgled as well. And until you've been burgled, there is a huge violation of your privacy and everything else. And luckily I was okay. They, they'd stolen a rucksack and we caught the guy. I got my rucksack back, but some people aren't so lucky. But it is that kind of, the home is definitely somewhere where you have got everything in there that means the world to you, materialistically or not. When someone comes in and violates that, then it really does hit home. Excuse the pun. So I think in terms of this episode, which is very short and sweet. I just want people to really think about the no place like home phrase and what home really does mean to you. Because it could be some of us who have parents that have come from another country, like my mum is a Windrush baby. Windrush being in the 60s when people from the Caribbean came, especially to this country in England, for work. They do not consider this to be home. The Caribbean, in my mum's case, Jamaica, is her home. And this is, I guess, a secondary home, even though she's been here since, what, 14, 15? Real home is back there. Actually, I'm lying with my mum. She does consider this her home, but a lot of people don't. 
people that I know, uh, friends, parents, aunts, uncles or whatever, depending on their age, well, you can work it out if it's around the 60s. They want to return to their place of origin and therefore see this as their second home. As I said right at the beginning, it could be country and it could be the bricks and mortar or the tent or the little shithole that you live in is your home. One last thing I think I want to finish on is when I go abroad, I was always the one I want the really nice hotel or the really beautiful villa and so forth. Whereas actually now I quite like Airbnb. I want to be a voyeur in someone else's home. I do love going round or staying in other people's houses if they have a nice place. I get my ideas and inspiration. Not my home, it's someone else's home, but I really do love what you can do with a home. So if you get the chance, don't just stick to the, the, the clinical or sanitized hotels. Do an Airbnb or something or a villa just to see how other people have created a home and then have opened it up to you or whoever else is going to pay the money to be in it. Thanks for listening to No Place Like Home and here's to hoping you'll join me again for another edition next week when I'll be back with my life, not yours. Thank you.